0: Hi, this is Pastor JC. I want to thank you for listening to today's podcast here at Faith Outreach Church. We want to invite you anytime you're in the area to come by and visit us at 3001 Wallace Avenue here in Terre Haute, Indiana. Sit back and enjoy today's message. Good to be here this morning, Monday morning, praise the Lord, sharing the Word of God on a Monday morning. My goodness, we love it. You can turn to the book of Joshua. Now, we're going to talk these in these morning sessions. We're going to speak on the subject of prayer, uh, something that I did for many years in our morning meetings, kind of taking a page out of Brother Kenneth E. Hagen's book. But this is what I found out, that uh, many people do not realize that prayer is an acquired skill. You don't just know how to pray because you're a Christian. Uh, you know, there's, I've always been... Uh, fascinated by the prayer that Hollywood presents to us in movies, I like like old movies and there was a movie about uh, a battle in the Philip, Back to Bataan, I think was the name of it and they prayed at the end as as all of the soldiers were dying one by one, there was like two left and one of them looked at the other and said, should we pray? And so they prayed, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, and then the movie comes to an end with the flag blowing and I've always thought to myself, that was the wrong prayer. They should have prayed, "Oh Lord, send the Marine Corps. You know, get us out of this." But it, it, there's always this uh, uh, this perception of of prayer in our in our nation in the in the media uh, that prayer is something that it's not. You know, I've always said this: a moment of silent prayer gets you nothing. But we're going to have a moment of silent prayer. Why? It's not going to get you anything. It may sound pious. It may sound uh, it may sound like it's holy or something. But you. Prayer is a, is a real strong effort, according to the word of God. Prayer is communication, it's dialogue, but some things we wanna get in this, into this week coming out of what's going on at Island Church. Uh, I think I counted it up last night. Tonight will probably be the 87th day in a row uh, that we've had a stirring of prayer and intercession at Island Church. We've been praying every day for 87 days. Our crowds will vary between about 25 and 50 people, depending on the particular day. But it's really not the crowds that are coming; it's the intensity of the prayer. It's that I've 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 said this several times. I've said uh, the touch of God is on it. So I'm I'm excited that another pastor, another set of pastors are here because I believe that every church right now is, uh, uh, if they if they will yield to it, there will be a stirring of prayer in that church. However, the pastors, uh, uh, you know. uh, design that for the particular church, whether it's every day or whether what it is, I still believe that if we'll do that, uh, uh, that it'll lead to revival. Literally, prayer does lead to revival. Throughout the Word of God, throughout history, all that you study, you'll see that prayer does lead to revival. And so, this morning, I wanna take just a few moments and, and uh, we're gonna talk about praying the Word because the foundation of prayer has to be the Word of God. When you come to God based on the Word, then you have legal basis for what you're doing. You know, I, I know that people they pray uh, prayers of panic and, and prayers of uh, emotion, and, and that's all well and good. I, I've always said if, if if crying would get you something from God, I'd cry myself a fortune. <laughs> you know, but it doesn't. You've got to pray the Word of God, and in praying the Word of God, the unique uh, uh, aspect of praying the Word of God is the authority that it builds in you. And the way it's released. Now, if you remember in uh, Matthew chapter four, you don't have to turn there. We'll stay there in Joshua chapter one. In Matthew chapter four, when Jesus was in the wilderness, he fasted 40 days and 40 nights. Afterward, uh, uh, he came out and there, there was the adversary to tempt him. Now, that's a good point about fasting and prayer. Notice, after 40 days of fasting and prayer, the first voice Jesus heard was the devil's. Some of the most erroneous doctrine I've ever heard in the body of Christ came out of extended periods of fasting and prayer. Well, people come out of that and they hear, you know, first thing they hear, they think it's God. Well, you better line it up with the word of God before you think it's God. And I'm not against fasting and prayer. I'm just saying you have to be careful when you get into the spirit realm because there are things in the spirit realm that are, that are very sinister. And you've got to be sure that you're flowing with the Holy Ghost. Amen. But anyway, Jesus, uh, that that attack began with, if thou be the son of God. Now we know at the end of Matthew chapter three, that was the revelation that God revealed from heaven about his son. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And then here comes that attack against identity. Now remember this about, about, this will help you with prayer and authority. Every attack of the enemy that comes against you is against your identity. It's not against your health, it's not against your possessions, it's not against your ministry, it's not against you, it's against your identity because your identity is formed by the reality of what redemption has produced for us. Let me give you an example. We're not poor old sinners saved by grace. We're the righteousness of God in Christ. We're not poor trying to get rich. We're the rich of God using tithing and offering to appropriate what we need in this life. We're not sick trying to get healed. We are the healed of God using the word of God to drive off the symptoms, and, uh, uh, symptoms of sickness and disease that try to attack our body. So it, it's not uh, 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 like, like the healing. God, is, God has used us in healing ministry for many years. Healing is not, well, we're trying to get God to heal you. We're trying to, that's not what it is. Healing is the reinforcement of the identity that God has given us in Christ Jesus. We are the healed of God. No matter what your doctor tells you, no matter what your body tells you, No matter what your mind tells you, the word tells you that you are the healed of God. It is part of your new identity in Christ. So this attack came against Jesus' identity three times. But all three times he used, it is written the first time, it is written the second time. Then the third time he used authority first, get the hint Satan, and then then it is written. And then verse 11 says, angels were dispatched to minister unto him. Now you have to understand he was doing something to show us a biblical principle. Obviously he being the word of God that word that is in your heart constantly through prayer and through worship is turned upon the adversary through authority when it's part of you. Now anything you say continually is part of uh, men and women that 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 grace pulpits always have phrases that you can tell uh, who they are by many times by the phrases that they, that's so and so, that's what they say or that's what this one says. Everybody does that. But what's unique about the word of God in you is it becomes you. It becomes you, God, Christ in you, the hope of glory, the word in you. And that comes many times through, and I think we kind of fell short in teaching on the confession message because the confession of the word of God Coupled with the subject of prayer is the true reality of what confession should all be about. I urge people many times when I teach on prayer, begin your prayer with a strong confession. Begin your prayer with a strong confession. My confession is always I confess about the word. I'm gonna illustrate that at the end of the service when we pray the word. I always, I have a confession about the word of God. I have a healing confession. I have a confession of prosperity. And then my favorite confession is my redemptive confession. And I, many times I'll, 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 I'll make those confessions first before I ever begin to pray in the spirit, before I ever begin to make petition because then what that does is that establishes me in the word It establishes my mind in the realm of communication with God. It causes my mind not to wander because I've already used my mind for uh, uh, 13 to 15 to 17 minutes in speaking the word of God. Therefore, I've taken control over my thoughts, taken control over my mind by what's coming out of my mouth and into my ears. And that at any time in my prayer of petition, my prayer of intercession, my prayer of worship or praise, my prayer of consecration, no matter what type of prayer it might be, at any time in which I need to release authority, I can stop, say, excuse me for a minute, and turn to the situation and release the authority of God in order to achieve that which God gives us the right to do through his word, amen? Now, here we go, Joshua chapter eight, excuse me, Joshua chapter one, this kind of backs this up. God speaking to Joshua, Joshua was taking over a very important position in in Israel, he's be, he's taking Moses' place. God gives him a God gives him this, this point here in order to empower him. It says, this book of the law, we would say it like this today: the word of God or the Bible shall not depart out of thy mouth. Everybody say, out of your mouth. Of your mouth. It shall not depart out of your mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night. Everybody say day and night. Day and night. This is your schedule for meditation. Yeah. <laughs> If the sun is shining, you should be meditating. If the, if the sun is not shining, you should be meditating on the Word. Now, a lot of, I've heard a lot of teaching on meditation. People, you know, the, the, the Hebrew definition to mutter, to mutter under your breath. Everyone in the world is advanced at meditation. It's just in the negative. It's called worry. And if you've ever worried, then you know how to meditate. Worry is what? the continual turning over and over and over of thoughts in your mind of a particular situation or circumstance which is coming to your life, you begin to look at future scenarios, you begin to look at what may happen here or there, you you begin to weigh in the balance of what's going on. If you've ever worried, you know how to meditate. But if you will take the word of God and replace your thoughts of worry with the word of God, you'll be meditating thinking over and over, turning it over. I heard an old preacher years ago said, he said, meditating on the word of God is like putting tennis shoes in a dryer. You ever heard tennis shoes? And you take wet tennis shoes that somebody watch, you put them in the dryer, they go, ka-thump, 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 thump Just drive you up the wall over and over, over. But if you take those tennis shoes out after the drying cycle, and you ask those tennis shoes, where have you been in that dryer? Those tennis shoes will tell you, I've been everywhere there is to go in that dryer. The same thing is the Word of God. You put the Word of God in your mind, you think it over and over and over. You constantly, I wake up in the morning thinking the Word of God. I go to bed at night thinking the Word of God. I go to bed, uh, during the day I have different routines that I do. I, I, I go to the gym, I have a certain routine at the gym. That whole routine is based on my, I'll be, I'll be running around the, around the gym uh, uh, muttering under my breath the Word of God constantly. Most of the time when I'm not communicating with people, I'm communicating with God based upon the word of God, either in thought or by just muttering it under my breath or worshiping God with it or using it for a foundation to prayer. Now notice, it shall not depart from your mouth and you need to meditate day and night. Now I want you to get this. It shall not depart so you're gonna have to speak it. Now I know one of the greatest uh, 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 doctrines in which we have received great criticism of You know, there's the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Oh, you're one of those tongue talkers. And then there's confession. Oh, you're one of those blab it and grab it guys. You're one of those name it and claim it. Well, in reality, yes, a lot of people got off in the ditch by only trying to use confession. Well, I'm gonna confess up a Cadillac or five oil wells. That has nothing to do with the reality of the word of God in your mouth. Now, I do believe in, in, in specific needs being targeted by confession and speaking confession to that. But in reality, the word confession means to say the same thing as. And that's what you're doing with a strong confession of faith. You're saying the same thing as God says about you. Amen? You're saying the same thing as God says about you. Remember when Jesus came out of the wilderness in Luke chapter 4. You don't have to turn there. We'll stay in Joshua. But he came out and the Bible says uh, he found the place where it was written. Speaking of the book of Isaiah, he was fixing to read something in the book of Isaiah that was written specifically about him. In every Bible I've ever had, all the way back to my Bible school days in the early eighties till today, every Bible I've ever had, the first thing I do when I get a new Bible is I turn to that scripture and where it says, he found the place where it was written, I always write in next to it about him. You say, now, why do you do that? Because there are things written about him, but there are also things written about you, About me, And if you'll understand the things that are written about us are really the things that give us power in life as believers, then you'll pay closer attention to it, you'll speak it out of your mouth, and you'll meditate on it day and night. Now the majority of that is found in the letters to the church. Now I've found this an interesting phenomenon, especially when we travel, we traveled quite a lot and and, uh, you know, we had uh, two, powerful revivals in two different locations in the world that, that God used us mercifully uh, to be a part of. One of them in particular in the nation of Ireland, uh, especially when the move of God really bega- began uh, to get strong, we held a conference, I believe it was in 1994, at a place called Black Rock, Black Rock College right outside of Dublin, which is a, a good, it wouldn't be compared to any of our universities, but it's a good size, size, size college. And we drew crowds of, oh, uh, during the day in our day meetings, there would be 800 to 900 people. Night meetings would drop to 2,500. But a lot of the students and a lot of the professors came, and there were actually theologians. Now, it was interesting to butt heads with the theologians because they, many of them were, were of, you know, of the Catholic religion, and they were very theologically bent But what they had trouble with more than anything was the volume of information that the speakers were bringing out of the letters to the church. Because when it gets to the denominations and people that really don't understand the spirit realm, they have a hard time with the letters to the church. But remember the letters to the church are the books of the Bible that are written to you. The rest of the Bible is written for you. There's a difference between what is written for you and what is written to you and those letters to the church That's what's written to you and that is what creates your new identity in Christ. You're the righteousness of God in Christ. You're a new creature, you're more than a conqueror. You know you can go on and on talking about what the Bible says about you. And just like Jesus did, he did what? He found the place where it was written about him. We need to find the place where it's written about us. Amen? Now, notice this. This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth. Thou shalt meditate therein day and night. Now, this is really cool, I like this. That thou mayest observe to do, all uh, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. Everybody say obedience. obedience. Say it again, obedience. obedience. I find it difficult to obey any scripture that is not in my mouth and in my meditation. But you will find it very easy to obey scripture that it's in your mouth and in your meditation because when you meditate on the word of God and speak the word of God over yourself, what you are doing is you are preparing yourself for obedience. There are all types of doctrines which the human mind rejects, the number one doctrine. Anybody know the number one doctrine the human mind rejects? Tithing. 10% of your income. Belongs to the that's old testament, that's this, that's that. Well, if I was teaching on tithing, I could show you in the Word of God where it is literally a beginning principle. It is something that God put in the foundation of the earth. Tithing, 10% of the income to take care of the move of God in God's kingdom on the earth. Now, here's what's unique about tithing. You can make a thousand dollars a month. I just pick out, you know, a round figure. You can make a thousand dollars a month, and of course, Uncle Sam's gonna get his his cut, so 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 you bring home 750. But you're supposed to tie, so that's $100. So that leaves you with $650 for a month's worth of bills. So you have $800 worth of bills a month. So you do the math on tithing. $1,000, Uncle Sam gets $250. I tithe 100 to my church. I have $800 worth of bills that I only have $650 to pay. And I've heard this over and over throughout the years of, uh, of serving the Lord, people that tithe, do it faithfully and do it according to the word of God as they have spoke the word about tithing, meditated on tithing and obeyed the principle of it, they'll all tell you the same thing. It's amazing how you can pay $800 worth of bills with $650 and still have money left over. Well, that doesn't add up. It doesn't in the natural. But remember, we're not dealing with natural things. We're dealing with supernatural things. And when you understand that's how the word works, the word works by usurping the natural with the supernatural ability of the word of God. And then the obedience factor of your life is going to determine what you do or do not receive. You stay outside the dimension of obedience, it's hard to receive from God. You, you live within the peripheral of obedience to God for your life, and it's amazing how God can bless you. Anytime I'm having trouble receiving something from God, I start checking up, first of all, on my OB. Where, where have I missed it? Did you tell me to do something that I didn't do? Uh, have, I, have I not done something? Have I, have I done something? I go through everything I can go through to figure out if I'm the problem. You know, if uh, you're on uh, all, these, all these cell phones and things that we use, you know, there's a common, all these towers that are around here that are, that are broadcasting Uh, All of our phone calls, our text messages, our emails and whatever else they have that they they do. And uh, uh, you could have a problem with the receptor, with the cell phone. You say, well, you know, uh, I I was using my phone this morning. Leah had some problems with her phone when we first got here. And, And you can have problems with your phone. But problems with your phone receiving the signal is not cured by working on the signal. It's cured by working on the receptor. And the signal of God comes out of of heaven by the spirit and by the word of God, and there's no problem with the sender. The problem is with the receptor. So anytime you're not receiving, check up on your reception. You may find out you may need to make an adjustment in your reception in order to receive more from God. So our speaking of the word and our meditation of the word prepares us for obedience. Now notice this, here's the, here's the result of obedience. It says, this book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night that thou may observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous and thou shalt have good success. Now this is something we need to teach people. Because we put it on, oh, you know, God, God, I'm, I'm waiting on God to say, I'm waiting on God to. No, no, He didn't say I'm going to make your way prosperous. He didn't say I'm going to give you good success. He said you're going to make your way prosperous, and you're going to have good success. You have to understand the responsibility for the good success of your life comes from your obedience to what you speak and meditate on, and that which you take responsibility to do. A lot of people put that off, well, I'm just waiting on the Lord. I've noticed for years, many times, we're not waiting on the Lord, the Lord's waiting on us. He's waiting for us to meditate, to get strong in the Lord, get strong in the word, and he's waiting for our obedience to line up with his will. I've noticed this throughout the years I've been serving the Lord. Anytime your obedience lines up with with the will of God, there's an automatic, instantaneous manifestation of whatever you're believing God for. God, listen, God is not in the business of withholding anything from his children on the earth, especially for the sake of suffering. I've heard some old suffering doctrines that were taught uh, you know, years ago, and I thought to myself, yeah, that's, that's mean to do that. God's not a mean God. God is a good God. You know, we did a whole conference one year on God is a good God, because so many people don't think God is a good God. And we always talk about at Island Church how God is a good God. God is a good... You go out in the public and most people's perception, they'll say, well, down in our area, no, that hurricane that came through, that was an act of God or, or, you know, this COVID, this is some kind of judgment of God or, or this situation. That's not God doing that. The Bible says it's the thief that comes, but for to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus, thank God, he said, I've come that you might have life and that you might have it in abundance. He's not looking to make us suffer. He's not looking to harm us or hurt us in any way. He's wanting us to receive revelation from the word walk in that revelation, speak it out of our mouth, meditate, be obedient to it, and receive the benefits. Amen. Amen. And, I, and I tell you, I keep thinking back to that conference at BlackRock so many years ago. So much of those, those theologians that argued over, well, God will give you cancer to teach you a lesson, or God will do this to teach. Well, if God was gonna do that, none of us would ever survive. You say, what do you mean? Well, you've got the world against you. You've got the devil against you. You've got your mind against you. You've got your flesh against you. If God was against you, we might as well just roll over and die because there ain't nothing left. No, all everything is arrayed against you, but God is the one that is not arrayed against you. He's not trying to teach you some lesson by putting you through some trial, tribulation, or trouble. As somebody challenged me, says, "Well, then, what does teach you?" I said, "The Word does." Revelation knowledge is the one that teaches you. Uh, the, the old phrase we use, experience is the best teacher. No, it's not. Because how many dumb things did you do over and over and over before you got saved and it didn't teach you nothing? Y'all looking so holy. I don't have well, if I was to run and stick my head through the wall here, you know, and and you know, on on, on my head's way through the sheetrock, hit a two by four. Whack. Put a big gash across my forehead. Pastor gathers me up and runs me to the urgent care. They put 40 stitches in my head. And so tonight I get up and I'm gonna tell you, I'm gonna tell you by experience. See that spackled spot on the wall? There's a two by four behind there and if you stick your head in there, you're gonna get, you think, you didn't have to stick your head through that thing to find that out. But a lot of Christians, that's exactly what they do. They put their head down and they run at the wall thinking, well, I'm gonna learn some great lesson. You do not learn the great lesson by what you go through. You learn the great lesson by applying the word to what you're going through and when it gets you out, that's when you learn the great lesson, amen? So you make your way prosperous, you have good success. Everybody say good success. success. Not all success is good success. I've watched people over the years, even ministries I've watched that have grown very large. I've seen athletes, we've seen politicians, we've seen people who are multimillionaires and billionaires who their lives are an absolute wreck. And just money or wealth coming into their life did not create good success. There are all types of things that create good success. Now, number one, good success does not compromise the integrity of the word. You know at the end of the day when you're receiving from God and God is blessing your life, blessing your church, blessing your ministry, blessing your business, blessing your job, blessing your family. You know at the end of the day when it's God doing that, there is a security in that in which you realize it's not me that's done it, it's God that's done it for me. And in realizing that, it gives you you a great confidence towards your heavenly Father. You know, it says in, in Hebrews chapter 10, to cast not away your confidence. That's not just talking about faith. That confidence is also built up of the experiences you've had in serving God and receiving from God. There's a whole lot more to that confidence than just the element of faith so it does not compromise the integrity of the word of god that means you do not have to you know you don't have to uh, do little sly things in ministry we learned that in field ministry our ministry our ministry grew grew quite large we were perplexed on how to handle uh, a ministry partner and we had, uh, there were many large ministries that we were affiliated with that we preached camp meetings and conferences with and they had all this, you know, you need to do this, you need to do that. They had covenant partners. They had, and we just that just did not sit right in us because our ministry was to the local church. And we loved the local pastors that we worked with and we didn't want to, to compromise our relationship with local pastors nor did we want to compromise our relationship with their congregation. The Lord spoke to me in field ministry. He said, now you listen, when you go to churches, you understand the pastors, they have, a, they have a relationship with a church like a husband and wife relationship. When you go into a church, you don't have that relationship. You have a brother and sister relationship in that church. Well, so we spent some time praying before we ever sold one cassette tape. We prayed whether it be the will of God that we do it or not. Uh, before we begin to allow partners to support us. We prayed, we actually developed a brochure. In that brochure, we gave a criteria for people that supported our ministry. We didn't call them covenant partners. We didn't try to put some heavyweight. We just called them friends of the ministry. And what we did was is we invited them to be a part of Rusty Martin Ministries if that's what the Lord was speaking to them. But if you're gonna be a part of our ministry, here's what we want you to do first. Number one, tithe and offer to your own church. Support their missions program. Support their building program. Support any other project that they may have in the community to feed people, to clothe people, whatever they're doing, support that. Make the thrust of your giving your local church. Then if the Lord speaks to you to support our ministry, then we welcome your support based on that criteria and we ask you to keep that criteria in mind because we don't want any money in there that's cursed. And it's amazing how God blessed us and it's amazing how the pastors appreciated us, amen? Now that's good success. I said, that's good success. Second, good success does not harm others for your benefit. You ever noticed in the world that doesn't make any difference to anybody? Oh, they'll step on your head and, stuck, and stick your face in the mud to, to take one step up the, up the ladder of success. Uh, you know, you look at a lot of success and you look behind it and there's a whole trail of broken relationships, broken, uh, broken dreams, uh, people that have been disappointed, but they don't care. Oh, I'm big now. I've got the, you know, I've got, and I've, I've seen that in ministry. Ministry is not, a, uh, not exempt from that. I've seen people that have done that in ministry. I thought to myself, why are you doing that? That's not good success. That's gonna come back and bite you. Yeah. Every seed reproduces after its own kind. Yeah. So it does not harm others for your benefits. Uh, your good success is also part of your spiritual growth. Part, of, if, Listen, if you're not, if your success in the spirit in which God is granted, you and I, we're talking about in ministry or, or at your job, in your business, in your investments, in your family, how whatever you're doing, if that success does not cause spiritual growth in your life, then I question whether it's of spiritual origin. There's all kinds of ways to do things all kinds of ways to make money, all kinds of ways to manipulate, all kinds of ways to you know to, uh, uh, to do things, uh, to try to gather wealth or to try to gather influence or to try to build relationships. But when you do it according to the standard of the Word of God, there is the added ingredient of the integrity that the Word of God produces in your heart. So there should be with every stage of success in your life There should be great spiritual growth and development. I just finished writing a book called You Can't Shoot a Cannon Off a Rowboat. That came from a a little prayer group that I went to when I was in Bible school and a powerful teacher of the word of God got up and taught a message called You Can't Shoot a Cannon Off a Rowboat. And her message was this. There's a lot of people in the body of Christ that have cannon giftings, kaboom, but they have a rowboat mentality. They go out, they get one shot, and that one shot sinks their little rowboat. But battle, But, but uh, cannons are shot off of battleships. Battleships take time to build, they take organization, they take structure, they take radar systems, they take communications. There's all kinds of things that are put into a weapon of war that is used by our neighbor. But when it is launched, it has two purposes. It protects, amen, and it can be an aggressive weapon. Same thing true of the word of God. It will protect you and it can be an aggressive weapon in your mouth and in your heart, amen. Oh, I like this one. It's easily shared with others. Good success is easily shared with others. If you if you've ever seen people that are stingy with money, we have a family in our in our city. I guess they're the wealthiest family, and uh, they have millions and millions, maybe even billions of dollar, dollars. They actually built uh, uh, a church. Uh, in the city in the 1950s and wrote, wrote one check to build it. One check to build it. Big, huge. It's on what, 10, 12 acres of land. Today it would probably cost a hundred million or more dollars to build a, a building like that. They wrote one check to build it, got mad at the board, the church opened, put in a the denomination put it, and the people that paid for the church never went to the first service there. <laughs> but this family. I knew one of them, he's gone on to his reward and I trust his reward will be heaven, I I don't judge him, but they would clip coupons out of the paper and travel around the island to the different grocery stores to save 3 cents, 5 cents, 10 cents on a loaf of bread. You say, well pastor, that's just being a good steward of money. No, 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 let me tell you what that is, that's stupid. When you have hundreds of millions of dollars Now, if you're on a limited income that's fixed and you're trying to make the best of every penny that comes into your life, I understand that. But when you have hundreds of millions of dollars and ranches all over the world and oil wells on those ranches and an enormous amount of income just dumping into your family, you do not need to clip coupons to go to, that's not good success. You know what that is? That's fear. That's fear is what that is. That's why they do that. That's fear in their hearts that the money's going to run out or something's going to happen. They're going to lose what they have and they live their whole life with that fear. Could you imagine having that amount of money and living your whole life in fear? That's not good success. Good success is easily shared with others. Good success leads to future good success for today provides seed for tomorrow's success. Everything that God gives you is designed to provide seed for tomorrow. And when you begin to realize that through meditating on the word of God, speaking the word of God, and then obeying the word of God, God guarantees you, you will produce for yourself good success. Then you begin to understand what it is. I guarantee you, you'll begin to appreciate God's interaction in your life more and more. Now, in praying the word of God, how's our time? 11.36. In praying the word of God, number one, it must be repetitive because repetitive confession becomes a part of your overall personality and makeup, what you say. If you ever had things come out of your mouth that you didn't think, they were spontaneous, it should be the word of God that you speak every day in times of prayer that become the spontaneous reactions of your vocabulary. A lot of people don't have that. I've noticed people over the years that, you know, this will happen or that will happen, and something negative, every time something negative happens, something negative will come out of their mouth. Well, that's precondition. And thank God he's given us the word in written form. You ever ever consider, we we support some uh, missionaries there in in, in China, and it's been, I don't know, Leo, maybe five years ago, they sent us a video, and we helped them buy several crates of Bibles to take into communist China. Leah and I have done that before. We actually got caught on the border. We got busted with 400 Bibles. And while they were interrogating us, about 200 people got across with about 4,000 Bibles. So since Leah had been in jail before, we really didn't have any uh, problems. <laughs> just kidding. We didn't have any problems. No, we just kind of made a joke out of it. And it was a lot of fun. So. But anyway, we got this video. And this, this, this really, how can I say this? This really impressed upon me how we neglect to value this book when I saw this video. And it showed them, and there was like, it was a group and maybe one crate was there. One of the crates was there. So they were so eager. They were, man, they popped that thing open, they got the lid off, and they started handing out these Bibles. And these, these precious Chinese people were taking their Bibles and they were hugging them and they were weeping. Tears were rolling down their face and they were hugging and weeping hugging and weeping, that's how valuable the Bible, that's how valuable the word is. We could never take it for granted. And then when we get this, in this, my goodness, how could we not be blessed of God? When I was in Bible school, there was the, the Iron Curtain was still up and they had smuggled a, a Czechoslovakian preacher out. At, at that time, I, was at, I went to Bible school at Lakewood Church and, and Lakewood was a dynamic missions church at that time. And they had smuggled this uh, Czechoslovakian pastor uh, out of Czechoslovakia, and he was there in the States because he was, there was a threat against his life. And he had built a church of about 60 people. It was an underground church. And they were very uh, spiritual. They would literally pray, the pastors would pray, and people would show up at the right time. There would be no announcement, there would be no word of mouth, but the Holy Ghost would move on. People would show up and that's how they would have meetings. All of their Bibles were handwritten. And here's how, here's, here's how he explained it. He said, You know, when we first went under communism, they took everybody's Bibles and burned them. He said, so we began with notebooks and somebody would remember a scripture, they'd write it down and they'd categorize it. They would write the book of the Bible, chapter one, verse three, chapter two, verse six. They would hear radio broadcasts. They would have tracts and books that would be smuggled in that they would have scripture in there. So people would put these Bibles together like a jigsaw puzzle. And when they gathered together for a church meeting, they would have their praise and their worship and the pastor would teach the word. Then the way they fellowshiped, they would share each, well, I got this scripture and I got that scripture and I got this scripture and I got, and they would literally put their Bibles together. And for his congregation, it took 10 years. And all of them had handwritten Bibles. And he said, one day we were busted by the secret police came in and they put me in handcuffs, my wife in handcuffs. They took our congregation and they put us in a circle and they took all of our material and all of our handwritten Bibles and they put it in a big pile and they doused it with gasoline and they took a match and they lit it and they threw it on it and he said tears began to roll down my face and I cried out to God, God, what will we do now? What will we do now? And he said when I said that, he said that fire crackled and popped and a half burnt piece of paper came down right at his feet and he said in the light of that fire I could see that piece of paper and on that piece of paper it said heaven and earth will pass away but my word will never pass away. Talk about how valuable this book is. This book is the greatest threat. Why did, they, why did they arrest us on the border of China? Because they're more afraid of a Bible than they are a rifle. Rifle uh, cause a revolution. They can handle a revolution, but a revival, they can't handle a revival. No nation can. But thank God we've got the word of God in written form so it, become, so it, bec- so it can become the word made flesh. That's literally what what it does. Just like Jesus became the word made flesh, he wants the word to become flesh on the earth today in and through us. And that's how it works and that's how it operates. When you value the word of God, it will never be a great effort on your part. Meditate on it, speak it, to continually speak it repetitiously in your prayer time. It will become one of the great honors of your life. Pray the word of God. Amen? Now I'm going to take a moment, if it's okay with you, and let's just pray together. I'm believing this stirring of prayer is going to get in this church, going to get in the other church. I'm going to believe God that we'll be stirred to pray and I'm going to begin today by praying the word, doing it as an example to you of how I pray the word. I've done this many times over the years and you don't have to follow after my pattern. This is what I've developed. This is how I've Develop that, Leah, Leah doesn't pray like that. She has her own way in which she speaks the word and prays the word. But it, many times in giving you illustration or illustrating something or demonstrating something, especially if the word is in it or if the spirit is in it, it can have an impact in it, in it or it can have, I like what one old preacher used to call it, it can have the touch of God in it, which means the touch of God is something that God just touches your spirit and says, that's it there, that, that, that's it right there. Uh, that, that's the way to pray the word. That, that's, that's the way to pray in the spirit. That's the way to intercede. That's the way to, that's the way to pray a prayer of petition. And many times when the touch of God touches you through an illustration or demonstration, it's God giving you a visual form of how the word works. Amen? So let's begin by all lifting our hands and worshiping God for a minute. Father, we worship you this morning. Lord, you said where the two or three are gathered. You're right in the midst. And Father, we sense your presence here right now. And we thank you so much we're able to gather together Uh, here in Terre Haute, Indiana, as children of the kingdom of God, of uh, of your children, Heavenly Father, we love you. We declare Jesus is our Lord and our Savior. The Holy Ghost abides and empowers, and the word gives us good success. We thank you for it, Heavenly Father. Now, Spirit of God, help me this morning to bring forth this illustration so that they will see and understand how the word is prayed in an effectual manner, not only to get the attention of heaven, but to also do something within the heart of the man or woman that is praying the word to help establish the reality of the word in us higher than anything else, higher than ever thought, higher than any any type of education or religion. It is our ability to put the word first place in our life. Thank you, Heavenly Father. I come to you thanking you for your word this morning. I thank you that the entrance of your word brings light and life to me. That forever, O Lord, your word is settled in heaven. That heaven and earth could pass away, but your word could never pass away. Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. I thank you, heavenly Father, that your word, Lord, I already did that, it's forever settled in my mind, going in my mind so fast, I gotta slow down. That forever, O Lord, your word is settled in heaven. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. Thank you, Lord God, that your word is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. It divides asunder that which is of the spirit, soul, and body, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. I trust in the Lord with all my heart. I lean not into my own understanding. In all my ways I acknowledge him, and he directs my path. I attend unto his word. I incline my ear unto it, saying, I let it not depart from my eyes. I keep it in the midst of my heart. For it is life. It is life for I have found it. It is Health to all of my flesh. I thank you, Lord, that I guard my heart, for out of it are all the issues of life. Thank you, Father, that your word is God breathed, that all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction, and righteousness, so that I, as a man of God, may be mature and perfectly furnished. Thank you, Father, that you watch over your word to perform it, that your word does not return void, but it does accomplish that word to its sin and prospers in the thing in which it was sent to. I thank you, Heavenly Father, just like in the book of Acts, we declare here in Terre Haute, Indiana, mightily grows your word and prevails. Hallelujah. Now lift your hands and thank God for the word. Oh, just thank him for the word. We thank you 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 for the word of Almighty God. Now, Father, we thank you for our healing. We thank you that you are Jehovah Rapha, the healer and health of our body. For Jesus was wounded for our transgression, bruised for our iniquity. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. By his stripes, we are the healed of God. Thank you that you bless our bread and water. You take all sickness and symptoms from the midst of us. Bless the Lord, O my soul, all that is within me. Bless his holy name. And we forget not his benefits. He forgiveth all iniquity, heals all disease, redeems our life from destruction, crowns us with loving kindness and tender mercies so that our youth is renewed like an eagle's. Thank you, Jesus. You said you would never leave us or forsake us, that you would be with us always, even until the end of the age. Here we are. We're at the end of the age. And we thank you that you are still with us. Thank you, Lord God. We thank you that you've not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. We thank you no evil befalls us. No plague comes nigh our dwelling place. Angels have charge over us. We thank you that you've delivered us from the power of darkness. You've translated us into the kingdom of your dear son. We thank you, Heavenly Father, that the law of the spirit of life in Christ sets us free from the law of sin and death. We thank you, Father, the same mighty spirit that raised Christ from the dead, it abides, It dwells in us. It quickens. It makes alive our mortal bodies. Therefore, we declare from the crown of our heads to the soles of our feet, we are the healed of God in our blood, in our bones, in our marrow, in our organs, in every part of our body and being down to the very cellular level. We release by faith and confession God's healing power into our bodies. In Jesus' name. Father, we thank you what we receive. Good success freely shares Therefore, we lay hands on the sick and they recover. We thank you the spoken word brings health and healing. And Father, we thank you for the gifts of the Holy Ghost that relieve the suffering and bring great honor to Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. We thank you, Father, with long life, strength and health, you satisfy us and show us your salvation. Now lift your hands and thank God for your healing. Oh, come on and thank him. Oh, we thank you for Pastor Jesse. We send that word to her right now. That word of healing, that word of strength, that word of deliverance in Jesus' name. We thank you, Father. You sent your word. It fell upon Israel and it healed them. We send that word to Pastor Jesse right now in her home and it falls upon her and brings healing and health in Jesus' precious name. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Father, we thank you that you are Jehovah Jireh. You are our provider. We thank you that you supply all of our need according to our riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Thank you, Father, for the grace of giving on us as people. We thank you that it give, we give and it does come back to us, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. That we are tithers, devour, you are rebuked. You cannot touch our seed, nor what our seed produces. We thank you, Heavenly Father, you open the windows of heaven, you pour us out great blessing, that we will not live enough days on this earth to contain it all. We thank you, Father, that our seed does not cast itself before its time in the field. We thank you that for our shame we have double, for confusion we rejoice in our portion, in our land and life we possess double in Jesus' name. We thank you that you spared not your own son, but you should with him also freely give us all the lesser things of life, that Jesus was made poverty for us, that we through him might be abundantly supplied. Not by might, nor by power, it's by the Spirit, says the Lord of hosts. We thank you nothing is impossible with you. We thank you the Lord is our shepherd, we shall not want. We thank you that you delight in the prosperity of your servants. We thank you that Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, Jesus being made a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is anyone that hangs on a tree, that the blessings, the blessings, the blessings of Abraham might flow into our life. We are the partakers of the Spirit of God by faith. We're blessed in the city and the field, coming in, going out, and our bodies in baskets. We're plenteous in goods. We're the head, not the tail. We're above, not beneath. We lend and do not borrow. We thank you that all of our bills are paid. We thank you that all our debts are retired. We claim every dime we need to preach the gospel here on the island and around the world, here in Terre Haute, Indiana, there in Illinois, and everywhere else, in Jesus' name, we thank you. Now, everybody, thank God for prosperity and blessing. Thank you, Lord Jesus. We worship you, and thank you, Lord God. We glorify your name. We exalt you, Lord. Thank you for good success in our finances, Lord God. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Now, Father, the most precious to me of my confessions is my redemptive confession. Thank you so much, Heavenly Father. Thank you for what you've done for me in Christ. Jesus You are my Lord, you are my Savior. I celebrate my salvation every day. My healing, preservation, soundness, safety, and deliverance. Thank you that I'm crucified with him. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved and gave himself for me. Thank you, heavenly Father. I'm buried with him by baptism into death that like as Christ was raised from the dead, even so I also walk in newness of life. I'm risen with him and seated with him in heavenly places, completed him, accepted into the beloved. I'm blessed with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. I'm accepted into the beloved. It's in him I live and move and have my being. Jesus has been made unto me wisdom, sanctification, redemption, and forgiveness of sin. I'm a new creature in Christ. Old things have passed away. All things are new for me. He that knew no sin was made sin on my behalf. Because of that, I am the righteousness of God in Christ. Thank you for the mighty authority that we have in the name of Jesus. That at the name of Jesus, every knee must bow of things in heaven, earth, and under the earth. Thank you, Father, that Jesus achieved his name three different ways. He got it through mighty conquests by spoiling principalities and powers, making a show of them openly. He had it conferred upon him through his humility and his obedience, and he got it through inheritance, and through inheritance it has been given to me, for I am an heir and joint heir with Christ Jesus. I walk upon serpents and scorpions over all power of the enemy. Nothing shall by any means harm me. Greater is he that's in me than he that's in the earth. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Thanks be unto God who causes me always to triumph in Christ Jesus. No weapon formed against me shall prosper. Every tongue that rises up shall be brought to condemnation. Thank you for your cross, Lord. It has broken the power of Satan over my life. For it is written, the preaching of the cross is unto them that perish foolishness. But unto us that are saved, it is the power of God. Thank you for your word, it is our sustenance. It is the bread of life. Thank you for your spirit that abides and empowers. And thank you for your precious blood that cleanses us from, the, from all sin, from all unrighteousness, and that remains fresh upon the mercy seat, crying out for us in all that God has done for us in Christ. Here on this earth, here in this life, we reign and rule as kings by one, Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. Hallelujah. Father, we thank you for the spirit of wisdom, revelation and the knowledge of you, the eyes of our understanding, being enlightened that we know what is the hope of your calling, what is the riches of the glory of the inheritance of the saints of the light, what is the exceeding greatness of your power toward us who believe according to the working of your mighty power, which you wrought or demonstrated in Christ when you raised him from the dead and set him at your own right hand in heavenly places, far above all principality, power, might, and dominion, every name that is named, not only in this world, but that which is to come, but all things under his feet, made him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth it all in all. And for this cause, we bow our knees unto the Father, the Lord Jesus Christ, of who the whole family of heaven and earth is name. He would grant us, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened by his might in our inner man, that Christ may dwell in our heart by faith, that we, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, length, depth, and height, to know the love of Christ, which passeth knowledge, that we might be filled with all the fullness of God. Now unto whom is able to do exceedingly abundantly, but all we ask or think, unto him be the glory unto him be the glory in the church, world without end. Thank you for the knowledge of your will and all spiritual understanding, that we may walk worthy of you, Lord, be fruitful in every good work and increase in the knowledge of God. Thank you for it, Father, that we as a people, we as families, we as churches, that we will be sincere and without offense, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ, unto the glory and praise of God. Hallelujah. Now lift your hands and just worship God for a moment. We worship you, Father. We worship you, Lord. We glorify your holy name. Blessed be, blessed be the name of the Lord. Now, now, now quietly put your hands down, close your eyes and just sit quietly just for a moment. Now, do you sense an ability stronger, before we started that, do you sense an ability now stronger to control your thoughts? If you just sit for a moment and allow your mind to clear, you will see that spiritually, your spirit by the word of God has risen and dominated your thinking. Now you can. Now you can pray. As many times in our intercession that we've been having for so many days there in Galveston, we'll pray that prayer. I'll pray that prayer. There'll be many sitting in the, in the we're doing it in the kid's court because the, uh, kid, our kid ministry room, because the Lord said, do it there, not in the auditorium. He said, prayer in here, revival in there. So we'll pray that and you can just sense a shift. The only way I can describe it is like a shifting of a gear where people will get that place in their mind where they know, I know my mind's not gonna mess with you. Know why? Because you've set the standard of the word in your mind. Your your ears have heard what your mouth is saying. The first place those words are going is into your mind. So now you're ready to pray. So many times at the end of all that prayer, I'll pray this, now Heavenly Father, thank you for utterance in the spirit. Thank you, Father, you've given us the touch of God for the last 40 days, the last 50 days. Thank you for the touch of God. Now empower us as a church. You're the one that has stirred this prayer. Now, stir this intercession in us. And I'm telling you, there are people, you can hear that. I guarantee you, one of the reasons we got it in the central part of our church is because if we didn't, you'd hear it all over the island. I'm telling you, I, I, I've always been a, 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 a prayer warrior and an intercessor in, in, uh, in our field ministry for 18 years. You know, always I'd get in a meeting like this, and usually one or two days I would sense a real shifting of a gear and an intercession that just comes from the gut, that just, you know, you know it's not you, it's the spirit that is joined together with your spirit. Other times you're just praying in tongues. But this real intercession that takes you, that's what we're gonna teach you on tomorrow, that'll take you over, and you're just being used by the spirit of God to pray is what you, what's going on. Now, now it would happen to me maybe twice a week, maybe once a week. Now when I began to pastor in 2002, it may happen once a month. During my prayer, every day I pray at least an hour. I mean, that's, that's, that's the minimum, of every day that I pray, but but about once a month, you know that'll that'll would take hold. Sometimes in a public prayer meeting, sometimes in a just myself praying personally. But now every day, or what what would he say? Eighty seven days, I can't walk in there without knowing this this Holy Ghost thing's going to hit me again. I'm going to be on my knees groaning and moaning and praying in tongues like I've never prayed before, going through one language after another after another, uh, and, and praying these things out in the spirit. That's where the kingdom of God begins to expand. The Bible says when Zion travails, Zion being a type of the church, sons and daughters are born. And you know, for all the history of our church, this is amazing. I'll close with this. I don't want to ramble. For all the history of our church, especially on our Sunday morning services, we would have anywhere from five to as many as 17 to 18 people come up after the Sunday morning service to either get saved or get right with God. Every service, year after year, after year, after year. That began to wane. Now it started happening every other week. then maybe once a month. And I got concerned because I was like, Lord, he said, you're not praying over the harvest. And the Lord spoke to me. He said, I'm going to cut it off completely and I'll bring you into a place of intercession in which Zion will travail and the real harvest that's going to it's going to be bigger than anything you've ever thought about. I believe the same thing's true in Terre Haute, over in uh, Illinois, where the these pastors are from, and any other other place you're praying over. That's the key. And if you go study moves of God throughout history, that's exactly how they happen. People pray. Uh, who was it? William Seymour. Prayed, what, five and a half hours a day for a year. They prayed in Brownsville for two and a half years. They just prayed on Sunday night. It wasn't every day, but on Sunday night. They had the longest continual revival recorded. So we must understand if God is stirring prayer, when? At the pivotal time in history in which there desperately needs to be a revival in the church, an awakening in our areas and harvest in the world. Now let me, I keep saying I'm gonna close, but the Spirit of God keeps bringing these things to me. It's better to say it under under the anointing than it is sitting there at, at lunch. Across the table. There has been no move of God for 18 years. People don't realize that. I mean, I've lived in moves of God. I'm fourth generation Pentecostal, lived in moves of God all my life. I believe, I don't preach this publicly, I don't use it as doctrine, I believe the last 18 years have been the apostasy. I've never seen more people leave churches. I've never seen more people leave the faith message. Uh, I know you've got a rhema background. Do, uh, do y'all have a rhema background? So y'all remember the huge conferences in the Tulsa Convention Center? That doesn't happen. I preached in huge conferences with, I could name some of the top ministers in the country. Everybody would know who they were. I've preached in conferences with thousands of people. That doesn't happen. Even extended meetings like this, that doesn't happen. Churches, churches that were 5,000 are now 2,500. Churches that were 2,500 are now 1,000. Churches that were 1,000 are now 500. Or churches that were Now I know there's an exception to different places, different things are going on, but for the most part what we call the company of faith, people that understand how faith operates, people that understand how the Holy Ghost operates, which you also have to understand is going to bring against it the greatest recoil from darkness. Now once all of this stuff began back in March, I've never seen so much attack against the body of Christ and against the company of faith. Sickness, disease, poverty, all kinds of things have hit churches, have hit ministries. Some of our greatest crusade preachers, Christopher Alam, he's a close friend of ours and he's gonna be at our our fall harvest this year. In 2015, uh, there were over a million people saved in his ministry. He hadn't preached the first crusade this year. He's been at home. He's been putting out these wonderful teachings that he's been doing. But uh, other than that, uh, our premier missionaries that we know Jerry and Janalaki from Botswana, Africa, literally changed the entire nation. Powerful church, powerful orphanage, powerful school, all the way up to the college level. They've been stuck here in the States ever since January. Our friends from Manila, uh, the Philippines, Pastor Paul Chase, I was scheduled to be in his pastor's conference in October. New Life Manila, which is a church of almost fifteen 000 to 20,000 people, has not held the first service since March and shot here in the States right now. It took everything they could just to get back here. But can you imagine, their, their, their income has been cut. They get about 20% of their income. That is, That's an attack, church. That's an attack against the core of the move of God in the world. You say, what do you mean by the core? There's always people doing great things for God. There's Baptist men, there's there's Methodist men, there's uh, uh, others, uh, you know, of denominations, men and women that have great ministries, but they don't understand the depth of the word and the spirit like the faith camp does. So what's the enemy going to do? He's going to come after and try to cause it to be paralyzed because he knows his days are numbered that this is the end of the age and he don't want that harvest to take place, but I've got good news. The enemy's defeated and under our feet. We don't care what the devil thinks and there is a stirring in the house of faith like there's never been and this 18 years of dormancy is fixed to end with a mighty sweeping move of God. I believe it's gonna begin this year and into the first part of next year and we're gonna see harvest coming to the kingdom. But we're gonna have to contend for it. It Doesn't just happen because we're here. There is a contending for the move of God and it begins. Amen? Amen? Praise God. Lift your hands. Father, we bless your name today. Lord, just as the rain falling from the sky, we declare the rain from heaven. Lord, you said the form of the latter rain, the same, same season. So Father, we declare in the name of Jesus that here in this region of our nation, the, the heartland, Lord God, in, the, in these states right in the heart of our nation, that a stirring will begin. Lord, even... Many times, what you do begins so small. Began in a manger, in Bethlehem. Wasn't a great army coming upon the scene, a little baby in a manger. Oh, what it's grown into in the last 2,000 years. We're so grateful to be a part. You've not excluded, but you've included. Allow us to prepare for that which you called us to do. Let us let go of yesterday, gleaning what we need to navigate our tomorrow, but entering into the freshness and newness of a move of your spirit and word like we've never seen before. Allow our expectation to be high and allow your provision to be great. All that we do in Jesus' name. Everyone says Amen. amen. Praise God. Well, I hope you learned something this morning. Pastor, I turn it to you. Give him a hand clap. Glory to God.